Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. In case you don't know, today is International Wine and Cheese Day. So if you don't already have some wine and cheese on hand to celebrate, then consider this your hall pass to go get some. Right after you listen to what she said, of course, for the next hour, because you don't want to miss the amazing lineup of interviews I have today. Starting with Salma al-Rashid, the Women 20 Sherpa for the year of Saudi Arabia's presidency of the G20. She joins me to discuss the state of women's affairs around the globe during this pandemic and what she and the W20 delegates are focusing on for the second half of the year. We also discuss how they are working hard to have the G20 recognize women's distinct economic roles and contributions by seizing the opportunity to put women at the center of investment design to realize sustainable recovery from COVID-19. From a weighty, important topic to one not so important, but definitely weighing us down, I speak with Lisa Sellen Davis about Zoom fatigue and why women over 40 are getting tired of looking at their own faces. Anne Brody has an exclusive interview with Leslie Chilcott, the producer of the new series Helter Skelter, an American myth, plus the latest in entertainment on the big and small screen this week. Yolanda Young is the founder of the not-for-profit We Are Girl Strong. She joins me to share why she felt compelled to help all girls realize their own incredible potential and to live an unstoppable life they dream of without limits. Plus, she shares how you can get your daughters involved. How different would your life be if instead of actively pursuing time management, you pursued energy management? That's what I discussed with psychology coach and professor Dr. Andrea DiNerdo. In her TEDx talk and on her psychology blog, Andrea wants you to understand how to thrive under pressure using three stress resilience tools, challenge, commitment, and control. The birth control pill has been around for 60 years, and we are only now starting to explore the effect it has on brain development when used by girls during adolescence. Nafisa Ismail is Associate Psychology Professor and U Ottawa Research Chair in Stress and Mental Health. She joins me to discuss the findings of a recent research study her team led. Thanks for taking the time to join me today. Let's get started right now with what she said on 105.9 The Region. Salma al-Rashid is the Women 20 Sherpa for the Year of Saudi Arabia's presidency of the G20. As an official delegate, she has represented Saudi Arabia at W20 meetings in Argentina and Japan and helped to shape the communiques to G20 leaders. A lifelong activist for women's equality, Salma is this year bringing together experts on women's economic empowerment, including academics, entrepreneurs, political and business leaders, and representatives of civil society to develop recommendations for the G20 countries to implement to promote equality. Holy cow, Salma, what a year to take over this role. I know. I mean, we, we have a saying in, in, in Arabic that nothing comes to you that you can't handle. So I, I keep telling myself that, but this is my, a momentous year for sure. <laughs> so not the year you intended, obviously. Uh, 
when you started this in November, correct? Is that you started in November of 2019? Yeah, that's when we took our, uh, the handover from our Japanese colleagues and we kick-started in January 2020. But even in January, we didn't know that this is the reality we'll be in. Right. Okay. So let's talk about quickly then, what are the focus areas for the W20? So the W20 has a number of focus areas. Uh, obviously, the reason we exist is to further advance women's economic empowerment and to ensure that gender issues and women's, econo- women's empowerment is mainstreamed into the G20 discussions. The way we do that is through a, a long consultative process. And at the end of that process, we submit a list of policy recommendations that we want the G20 leaders to commit to. Mainly, we focus on women's economic empowerment, uh, labor inclusion, financial inclusion, digital inclusion. And for this year, we've introduced um, during the Saudi Arabian presidency, inclusive decision making uh, with uh, women's entrepreneurship as a cross-cutting issue and also uh, highlighting the importance of um, calling for G20 accountability and monitoring of their own commitments on gender-related issues. So as we both know, 2020 went completely off the rails uh, around March 13th. You and I were talking earlier. We both both went into quarantine on, on the same day. Um, how has this pandemic then affected women around the world? So it's, it has, I mean, it highlighted existing inequalities. It just brought them to the surface. It did not introduce anything that was, it did not introduce anything that we were not aware of, especially for those who work in the field and are, you know, are, are aware of women's issues, but it just highlighted them. And we hope that this is an opportunity to build back better, to ensure that governments and policymakers realize what we've been calling for many years, that women are um, at a disadvantage in many ways. And it is the time to reconstruct and build our uh, economies and policies uh, better. Women make up 70% of the healthcare sector, and they're in the front lines. This is, a, if we they say this is a war, this is the first global war that the front ever in history where the frontliners are females, are women in the front lines. We have 740 million women in the informal economy, and with this pandemic, these are really impacted. Tourism is impacted. Tourism employs a wide, huge numbers of women. So these are, you know, it just highlighted the whole, um, we're all moving and connecting digitally and and through, you know, across the oceans to connect digitally, but women are also the least connected and, and with least access to technology and digital infrastructure. Yeah, well, you know, I just want to circle back on something. You and I recorded a longer podcast. I hope everybody will go listen to that. But, you know, you mentioned joking in the podcast about, you know, we all think Google is a woman. Google is a man. Um, So explain that to me about digital inclusion for women, because I think this is important. I think a lot of women don't actually think about this enough. So in, in W20, we discussed women's, uh, women and girls' digital inclusion and, and the, the importance of ensuring that women are, have access, but it's not only access. So access to the internet, access to technology, digital literacy. So they need to know how to use that technology, STEM, so science, technology, engineering, maths. They need to you know, get into these fields of study. But not only that, the other side of that story, who's designing these algorithms, who's designing the artificial intelligence, the majority is male. 
we don't have enough diversity actually in that. And um, you know, I, not only between um, men and women, but also across the whole spectrum of diversity. Uh, we don't have enough um, um, diversity in that field. And that's a serious issue because now with uh, everybody's counting on artificial intelligence, but there are biases. There are biases in artificial intelligence. Well, when we talk about, you know, systemic racism and systemic sexism, this is a perfect example of something that is being built with male biases built in uh, because we don't have enough women building the programs behind it. So I I think that's just something excellent to highlight why it is so important for women to be uh, more involved in STEM. Absolutely. And, and to give you just an exa- a recent example, one, in one of the uh, G20 governments uh, during the pandemic ran a survey to understand symptoms of uh, the um, COVID-19. And in that survey, they failed to ask people their gender. They just didn't ask that in the survey. And the reason that that response team or that team, that task force did not include any females. There were no women in that in that uh, team so you know that's a simple any ask any statistician or economist they say what you can't not include you know we, we need to understand because it does impact we know that men who contract the the, the virus have uh, maybe more serious um, uh, outlook so we we need to understand how how that impa- impacts uh, different groups of people so, so tell me then right now in terms of you know obviously this is this has changed your 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 action plan this year. What are the top priorities for you as we head into the second half of 2020? So our, our, what we decided collectively with the W20 delegates that this year is unlike any other year. So what typically is a communique that we submit to G20 leaders of two pages, this year it's going to be three pages. The first page calls for is bold, straight to the point, calling for immediate action that will, uh, key measures for uh, economic recovery to build back better, what needs to be addressed. And then the second and third page is more of a long-term strategy so that we don't find ourselves in the same place if if anything else uh, hits. We really need to ensure that we rebuild better. Absolutely. So if people want to keep up with what you're doing um, and, and how this is going, do you update this regularly somewhere? Absolutely. So I, I would like to ask your uh, listeners and viewers to follow us um, on Twitter, W20Org, and on Instagram, W20Org, and on our website, W20SaudiArabia.org.sa. We constantly uh, updated. Our website has a really a wealth of uh, downloadable resources on women's issues, and I hope that they continue to support retweet and and support the cause. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining me today all the way from Saudi Arabia. This is a pleasure. And I hope that uh, our paths cross in person someday. I do. I do too. Thank you very much, Candice. Thank you for joining me. More with Candice Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region.
Lisa Selen Davis is the author of Tomboy, The Surprising History and Future of Girls Who Dare to be Different, coming out in August. She has written articles, essays, and op-eds for the New York Times, Time, Salon, Huffington Post, and many other publications. She has published two novels, Belly and Lost Stars, which was based on her New York Times Modern Love column. She used to have hobbies, but now she has kids. And Lisa joins me today to discuss a recent article she wrote titled, Staring at My Own 40-Something Face on Zoom Has Shattered My Self-Esteem. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. So I have to tell you, I laughed out loud when I read that title because so many of my friends are going through this experience. So what what was the moment you thought, I have to write about this? Was there a, a particular moment where you thought, oh, this is crazy? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, I was, I've been doing, so mostly I work as a writer and I, most of my interviews are on the phone. So unlike some people, I don't have to be on Zoom all day, but I was teaching a personal essay class, which I, which I love to do and especially wanted to do during this pandemic when I wanted to be connecting with people from all over the place instead of the three people I live with, in addition to the three people I live with. So it was more like Fridays at 12, I would turn on the computer to connect with other human beings. And there, you know, it just, there was the, this person there. And as I'm setting it up, I'd get a glimpse of one part of my face or my neck or, and just, and just was, legitimately shocked that that's what I looked like. We are so, we are so self-critical of ourselves, right? You know, um, as, as women, we see a picture and we, you know, we immediately go to correcting. I look fat here or I look old here, or, you know, so that, that does happen on Zoom. So what is Zoom fatigue? This is a real thing. Well, Zoom fatigue is not, is not just about looking at yourself, but it is the, the physical and emotional exhaustion from having your life entirely online. So there's much more about it than just the part about seeing your own face. But that part of Zoom fatigue has to do with, again, the psychological effect of watching yourself react to people. Like that's not that's not how it works. We can't see ourselves when we go outside and interact with other human beings. And that's a very new experience. And although we've had it for a little bit since there have been, you know, video teleconferencing, we've, we've had this for a few years and we've been working on this for decades, but having it be a huge part of your daily life where you are able to see yourself reacting in real time to other people, it's a lot for, it's a lot for your brain. And if you're vain and or have low self-esteem and and or are aging differently than you thought you were based on a few glances in the mirror on the way out of the house in the morning you know it's it can be i would i just found it shocking i just did not know that i had aged that much so we were talking before this interview and you said that you know the title of this article in the huffington post you thought came across as a little shallow uh, perhaps maybe people clicked but didn't read the article, and the article is totally in jest, obviously. Uh, so why? what was your concern about that, um, you know, about what people may think uh, as opposed to what you were trying to say? Well, the editing was really great. 
at Huffington Post. Mm -hmm. It was some of the best editing I've had. That piece was much longer when I sent it in. And the editor was so nice because she gave me some um, options of titles, which is very rare these days. You just have very little control over it. And and they talk, they talked about, I hope it's okay for me to talk about this, but um, you know, wanting to mention being a 40-something woman because that's a big part of their demographic. And, and so I kind of picked different parts of, of the title she had offered and put them together in what I thought worked. But what I didn't realize was that saying, you know, Zoom has shattered my self-esteem. <laughs> if, you, if you don't read the article and know that it's mostly funny, A, that B, it acknowledges that this is a privilege and that C, it even talks about the kind of racism of video technology, and you just read the title, you think, this is the most self-indulgent thing in the world of a person who has no actual problems and is totally unaware of her privilege, when really I think it's about an experience that many of us are having. And, and yes, we're privileged to have it. It means we have work. It means we have access to technology. But we've also never lived like this before. And I think for aging women, this is part of the experience. So it's still worth investigating, documenting, talking about. Well, I think it's an excellent article. And I think many of my listeners today are going to completely relate to this conversation. And I, so what we're going to do is when we put this video up on social, we're going to uh, also link to the article. But if people want to find you and know more about your writing, where can they go? Oh, man, it's self-promotion time. Um, well, um, my Twitter is at Lisa Selen Davis. The book is called Tomboy and will deal with um, deals with a lot of expectations placed on women and girls. So it's related and you can get you can pre-order Tomboy anywhere now, local bookstore via bookshop or the biggies like Amazon or Amazon uh, Barnes and Noble. And it'll be shipped early August. And, um, you know, Instagram at Lisa Selen Davis, where I am writing up little profiles of tomboys there and talking about all the complications around that word and idea and gender and gender norms and all that really fun stuff. Okay, wonderful. We're going to put all that up on, on the video that we put on social. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me today, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. That was fun. Joining me now is Ann Brody with Entertainment, and this week you have an exciting interview with Leslie Chilcott. She won, her film, An Inconvenient Truth with Al Gore, won two Oscars, and she's won in Humanitas. She's made a film on Charles Manson called Helter Skelter, an American Myth, blowing apart everything you thought you knew about those murders back in 1969. Okay, let's listen to that first then. What did you notice about the surviving um, free... Uh, followers. I mean, Lynette still seems to carry the torch for him. Yes, I did. I did speak to a number of family members that aren't in the series that were very helpful in, in, in telling me things. The vast, vast majority of them have distanced themselves, um, have, you know, realized that, you know, 
what had happened and that they were maybe fooled or in some cases their their part you know their part in it that they're very remorseful and regretful over there are a very small number of them that still sing charlie's praises and say that he was railroaded and all of those things and you know what i think is interesting about episode 2 is we we go back and interview people that knew charlie back in west virginia right. you know that haven't really been on camera before and he really did have a bad childhood. That doesn't excuse the later stuff, but I think it it helps to to provide um, something for think people to think about as far as you know, our killers born or made. Born or made. There you go. Yeah. Um, and Lynette Fromm, you know what we see of her in in the in the documentary is uh, kind of mind bending. What were your private thoughts on on where she stands? Now or then? At the time. Yeah, she was, Lynette was one of the first, you know, initially it was just Charlie and about five girls. And there was this very small core group of people. And Lynette Fromey was was one of those people. And, and you know, whether they were in Topanga Canyon uh, in various, you know, they were in four or five houses in Topanga right. Canyon. They were at the Spiral Staircase. Um, they were at Dennis Wilson's house and they went out to Spawn Ranch. Lynette was really one of the closest people to Charlie. He could count on her. She kept a lookout for him. You know, she was the one that nurtured and took care of, of George Spawn at Spawn Ranch. Um, but she was very, very young and impressionable and had kind of run away from home when, when Charlie picked her up in Venice Beach. And to see such a young mind mature in the presence of a master manipulator like him, <laughs> I, 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 it's disturbing, you know, and it's, and, and there's a lot of, she says some interesting things, you know, she cares very much about the environment and cared very much, you know, what surprised me is these women had real love for each other, you know, yeah. and some of them were victims and some of them were perpetrators and some, and some were both. Why had, back to the footage, why had NBC not ever used this footage of, for instance, the Span Ranch, Spawn Ranch home, foot, home movies? Well, um, most of the Spawn Ranch stuff was uh, shot, all of it was shot after the crimes because nobody really knew about the family before that. So they weren't being filmed. And right. Charlie, Charlie oh. knew he had underage girls there, so they weren't filming or taking photos or those kinds of things. I don't know that a Charlie Manson would get this kind of attention now. Um, he certainly does not deserve all of this attention. You know, he yeah. was a small con artist who who committed one of the most unspeakable crimes in history. And I, I was uh, in a newsroom up here for uh, 26 years, and every few years there he'd be acting crazy, trying to get his par- or trying not to. I think in retrospect, after having seen your film, trying to get uh, parole. Where are you located? Toronto. Okay. So um, did you see episode six yet? I've seen the whole works. Okay. Okay. So um, it's tricky because I don't, maybe, maybe we don't reveal this. Well, maybe we don't reveal this exactly, but there's an interesting theme about uh, being a media puppet. Let's, let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So he found right. a way to, whether it was, you know, he, he even stopped going to parole hearings in the 90s because I think he realized he was never getting Yes. Parole. But he found a way yeah. through parole hearings or selected interviews or through letters that were smuggled out or music to 
keep it so that we're talking about him. He really wanted that fame. <laughs> and I hope people come to the conclusion, you know, that, that he was this small in every way, stature, um, in terms of his reach, his height, his thinking. And we really have more important things to be talking about. I, I think yeah. there was a time and a place and we need to look at those, those, those real victims and, and realize that something horrible happened, but the puzzle pieces don't always fit in this case. And, and, and we should Fantastic. It's so interesting. Thank uh, you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it, Leslie. What an amazing series. Okay. So we're definitely going to watch uh, Helter Skelter, uh, American Myth. But you sent me some trailers this week, and there are two that stand out that just, uh, I had very different feelings on them. First one is The Rental, which scared the heck out of me. No kidding. Do you know why? Because it's so well done. It's so well done. And it's Dave Franco, James Franco's little brother who wrote and directed. He doesn't appear in it. It's Dan Stevens and Allison Brie and, and a couple others about two couples who go out to this uh, beautiful cottage on the woods uh, for a holiday and they start to feel that something's weird and the tension just builds. I can't describe the plot to you because it doesn't really matter. It's more the, the feeling of it and watching them sort of fall apart. It, it's really good and really original. Okay. And then the next one, which I had totally opposite feelings for, was Rogue Trip, because as a travel writer, this one really, really spoke to me. You will love this. Okay, so Bob Woodruff from ABC News. Now, he was a fellow who was who was in a roadside bomb uh, and had to bring himself back from severe brain injuries over several years. You may remember that news story. He and his son set out to the world's most dangerous places in order that his children wouldn't be frightened of the world after his experience. And they went to Cambodia, they went to Chernobyl, um, uh, uh, Papua New Guinea, where there's cannibals. It's very good. I think you're going to love this. Uh, They only sent us two to watch. I cannot wait to see the rest of them on Disney+. Plus. Wonderful. It looks so heartwarming. So, Anne, thank you for joining me. You have a whole bunch more, obviously, that you're sharing with us over on whatshesaidtalk.com. And I encourage everybody to go check that out for more uh, new releases. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Candace. Express yourself. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm a right song. Yolanda Zhang is a mom, a teacher, an engineer, an innovator, and an entrepreneur on a mission. She is an engineer in her third career and has developed language, math, and girl empowerment programs tailored to the needs of each student because everyone has different strengths and opportunities that need to be celebrated. When she sees a need, she is excited to create a solution that will meet it. She's the founder and director of two businesses, Panda Mandarin Language Programs and We Are Girl Strong, Inc. Welcome to the show, Yolanda. Thank you so much, Candice. It's so great to be here. So I, I'm excited to hear about We Are Girls Strong. Obviously, this is what she said. We're all about female empowerment and, and starting young is so key. So what was the inspiration for this program? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was inspired about two years ago to start Girl Strong, 
because my grandmother passed away. So she had um, cancer and I was able to visit her back in China um, for three weeks. And during that time, I was really able to say a lot of the things, you know, I've been meaning to say, she raised me from baby to four years old. And so she was the mom for me. And so this was the most traumatic event that's ever happened to me in my life. Um, And I wanted to do something to honor her memory, but also to help myself to deal with the grief that happened after she um, passed away. And my grandmother um, had a very difficult life and really valued education. And so I wanted to do something um, in education to help girls that may be in similar situations without the means to really learn and be all they can be. And um, so Girl Strong is really born from, from grief. And then I wanted to kind of combine all of my skills and experiences together to really make a positive impact in all the girls' lives that um, we get to work with. Okay, so how does it work then? Girls Strong kind of, because of COVID, now we are running in different ways. Um, Pre-COVID, we were a full year program and we have five main components. One is public speaking and STEM, entrepreneurship, strengthening mother-daughter relationships. And the fifth one is developing growth mindset and positive habits. So we are the only program in Canada that is licensed by Franklin Covey to deliver the seven habits to children. So it's a really special honor and we've really loved that experience. And so of course COVID happened and everything changes and we had to change and adapt as well. So now we have a virtual program alongside with our full year private program um, that teaches components of these five areas, um, not as in depth because it's not as long. Um, But we also have partnerships with schools. Um, Girl Strong is a nonprofit organization. So we also um, have programs in schools in um, underserved communities where the program is provided for free. So that's kind of how we offer the program right now. And, you know, who knows what's going to be like in the fall, right? Like everybody is kind of waiting to see. No, nobody knows what the future holds this year. So what is, what is the age range then for, for girls uh, joining in this program? I target a much younger age, starting at six years old. Um, I was a high school teacher. Um, that was my second career, was a high school teacher in math and physics. And I found that, you know, a lot of parents would come to me with challenges, mostly behavioral and attitude with their teenage girls. And they would ask me, Miss John, what do I do? You know, how do I fix this? This is so hard and I can't deal with this. And I really feel their pain, you know, like it is really hard. Um, But I always remember thinking, if only I met them earlier, you know, if only I could meet her when she was six. There were so many things I would want to say to her, do for her that could set her up for success and not have this conversation with her mom you know, 10 years later. And so that's why for me, I really want to help girls when the little seedlings of issues are just starting up and we can address it early and not have them grow into this like massive weed patch that is really hard to fix. So that's why 
the age group that we target right now is six to 12. And it's also a space in kind of education that is kind of missing because the issues are not obvious yet at that age. They're still cute. And you don't really see those issues come up um, for parents until much later. But they're much harder to address when they're much later as well. So that's kind of the rationale of doing um, the program for younger girls. I love it. So if people want to know more then, if they want to get their daughters involved in this program, where do they go? So they can follow us on Instagram. We're at girlsstrong underscore T-O. And we're also on Facebook under We Are Girl Strong. And our website is wearegirlstrong.com. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today, Yolanda. Thank you, Candice. Really appreciate it. No, I've still got a lot of value left in me. Be my darling. Be the one I wouldn't want to lay or ever love. Psychology coach and professor Dr. Andrea DiNardo applies positive psychology to facilitate personal growth and transformational change. In her TEDx talk and on her psychology blog, she discusses how to thrive under pressure using three stress resilience tools, challenge, commitment, and control, a framework for self-actualization used throughout her coaching, teaching, and speaking practice. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you for having me. So you recently posted something that really spoke to me, and it was about energy management as opposed to time management. And I think in our current circumstances, because we're all struggling with how to manage our time, this is a much much better way to cope. I appreciate that it struck a chord with you. And what I have been telling my psychology coaching clients and my psychology students is, including you, Candice, because you're officially adopted, (laughs) is that whatever tools you use before the pandemic, are applicable now and even more so. So in addition to my TEDx, one of the reasons I talk about energy awareness is that I value my time with people so much that I am very choosy about who I spend time with. Now, I wasn't at 20, (laughs) I am at 50, and I know you can relate. So that when I'm with you, I wanna give you the best of me. So the idea of energy awareness and energy management versus time management is we don't have control over time. We don't have control over basically 99% of what happens in this world, but we do have control over how our body, our mind, our soul reacts to a situation. Well, I think what, what, what I, you know, really uh, hit me was I think that when you are managing your energy better, you are actually effectively managing your time better. Yes, 100%. So yes, you're more effective in your work. You're more effective as a student. You're more effective in your relationships. But most importantly, in a world that we have less control than we've ever had, you're in charge. Let's break down those three tips then, those three C's for people. The first thing is you want to be, the first one I will call debits and credits. So think about that every day you're giving $100 to spend of energy. So you want to make sure that there are certain things that you have to do. Now, as a, as a writer, as a podcaster, as a radio host, Candace, you're going to have to go on Facebook to do the research. Don't get sidelined. 
so that you only go in there with a very limited amount of time so that you can use your energy properly. Because part of that is, and now what I'm talking about applies to your daughters, applies to every age group. As a psychologist, I worked with age four up to say age 75. So all of this applies. So part of debits and credits is also in your life, who depletes you? Who energizes you? So often I'll get the yeah, but it's a family member. Yeah, but go in your room and lock the door. Yeah, but it's a family member. Have you seen the block button on your phone? So there are a lot of, so take responsibility and accountability for that. Okay, excellent. So then that leads us to the next step, which is what? Put a time limit on with your friends and family that we can deplete our energy because everybody has a story. As you can imagine, people come running for me when they find out that I'm a psychologist because they have a story. Right. Well, we all have a story to tell, right? So we want to put a time limit on the blaming, the complaining, the whatever it is. This also includes the self-talk. So that as we we talked about earlier on your podcast, is that we don't want to discount the pain. That being in a pandemic, no matter whether or not you have a job or you don't have a job or different parts of the world, it's very disruptive. So that if you only have an hour of dinner with your daughters, then you're going to take your phone or better yet, put the timer on the stove because we all have that. And for every hour, everybody gets 10 minutes, not like 10 minutes in total. However you want to do it, have a talking stick, but say a one-on-one relationship between you, you get 10 minutes of a, like basically a, a complaining session because the next so you want to save your energy for solution so you want to save energy for your dream of interviewing michelle obama so think of problems uh being on pluto and solutions being on venus so if you spend all your time on pluto you're never going to get to venus and venus is where your dreams are and i think too you know another thing is as you were speaking there i was thinking as people become more in tune with their energy and, and if it's being depleted, if, you know, if, as it's changing, they're naturally just going to be putting those time limits on those interactions anyway, correct? Yes, yes because what our body is, and I teach a course called health psychology in the nursing program, and they have to be very conscious of their energy. As you can imagine, a, a young nurse, it's, I'd say 80% females, they're going into it because they're the saviors. They're the caretakers. And I have to, with them, help them realize that if they're not careful, they're going to experience what's called vicarious trauma. So that you could feel for somebody, but feeling the pain of somebody having cancer does not make you more effective. So exactly like you're saying. So just that closing your eyes and tuning in, does it make me smile or does it really make me want to cry? So that doesn't always serve you. Okay. And the last one then, number three. And number three is energy is everywhere in ways that we've never seen before. Like, look at us having this conversation. The way that we're connecting is incredible. Also, all my courses are now online. All my coaching clients are all by telephone. And so I want to be able to separate myself from the energy of the Facebook, the Twitter, the Blackboard or whatever. And one way of doing that is a ritual. So before I go on to my online class, I put combat boots on and I literally stamp my feet on the ground. This is me and that is you. And that's, that definitely helps. And then part of that anchoring is what you do with your time. So compare 
the grounded nature of talking about soul, spiritual, future, what ifs, dreams, all that kind of stuff versus, you know, did you see what she was wearing? <laughs> one's junk food, what I call junk time, and one's soul food, what I call soul time. All, not all time and energy is the same. So when you work out, I know that grounds you. I know that energizes you. And when you do these interviews, it does the same thing. So that kind of time and energy, because really they're together, but that kind of time gives you more. So if every day you have $100, that when you have this conversation like this, you actually leave the end of the day with $300. Right. And if you go the other way, if you're in toxic relationships, if you are always gossiping, I mean, we all like to do it. I mean, Real Housewives shows, they're fun, you know, but that's not all you want to do. That what happens is instead of that $100 that you start your day with, you end your day at a minus 50. And that's when you get into um, health psychology issues and then it ends up being a physical problem. Because when you see something in your body, whether it be cold, virus, or any of those things, it happened. Like you think about the virus, it happened 14 days earlier. So that's why you have to be so conscious. So when we talk about karma, it's like our body's karma. Like we have to like be aware and we're in charge. We're like the queen. We're in charge. <laughs> so if people want to watch this TEDx talk then and learn more about this, where can they go? Where can they find that? Two ways. One, they can go to my website, which is a psychology blog, and I have about 350 posts on psychology and thriving under pressure. So my TEDx is thriving under pressure. Google thriving, thriving under pressure. DrAndreaDenardo.com. I also have a YouTube channel. And I'll say, Candace, I appreciate this so much because my dream, my North Star, is to make psychology accessible to everybody. Well, I am here to help you get there then because I absolutely think psychology should be something we should all be learning. We would be so much better equipped uh, to deal with each other and to deal with the things that are thrown at us in life. Thank you so much for joining me. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Candice. with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Oral contraceptives, or the pill as it's more commonly referred to, has been around for around 60 years now. And yet we're still learning about how the female body is affected by it. Recently, a team in Ottawa looked at how oral contraceptives used during puberty or adolescence may affect brain development. Joining me now is Nafisa Ismail, Associate Psychology Professor and U Ottawa Research Chair in Stress and Mental Health, who helped lead this study. Welcome to the show, Nafisa. Thank you so much for having me. So this is not a small finding. In fact, I think it's huge. Is this the first study of its kind into this? Um, there's been some work, not much. Some work has been done looking at the effects of oral contraceptives on the brain and on cognitive functioning. But we are the first ones to investigate what happens when we begin taking the pill at such an early stage during puberty and adolescence. Right. So I, you know, I read this with keen interest because my, my daughter started um, 
the pill uh, quite early as an adolescent uh, as in pain management for very painful periods. The conversation of how it might affect her cognitive growth or brain development was never discussed. That to me is concerning. Uh, so what compelled you to start this research? Yeah, um, what compelled me is really the fact that we do regularly prescribe it to young girls um, for reasons other than uh, uh, pregnancy prevention, such as acne, um, heavy periods, um, pain, menstrual cramping, and so on. And it's true that the pill will help these symptoms. It will help all these symptoms that are due to a hormonal imbalance. But these are nonetheless synthetic hormones that we take in in our body. And the puberty and sense are two periods that are so critical for brain reorganization and remodeling to set the stage for adulthood. And it's a natural process and it's governed by our natural hormones. But when we take in these synthetic hormones that come from the pill, they, these hormones, these synthetic hormones are going to bind to the same receptors that our endogenous hormones, natural hormones would bind to. And so our hormones cannot have their actions. And rather, we leave the remodeling and reorganizing of our brain during this critical period to the synthetic hormones. Okay, so tell me about some of the findings then, because I think these are really interesting. So yeah, we it's really just the beginning. We have a lot of work still to do, but even in this um, early work, we are already seeing that there are structural and functional differences between women that have been on oral contraceptives versus those that have never taken oral contraceptives. So we do see changes in gray matter volume, and in most of the regions, it was a reduction in gray matter volume. Gray matter is that tissue that encompasses our neurons. So we could see it as sort of a reduction in the number of neurons in um, various brain regions. But what we did notice is that where we do see a reduction in the gray matter volume, we see an increase in white matter volume. And that's the tissue that um, allows communication between the brain regions. And it's sort of as though our brain is compensating for that neuronal loss within specific brain region. And it's saying, you know what, we're losing neurons but I'm going to increase this white matter so that the regions can continue to communicate together. And so we're seeing this increased white matter. Um, whether these have any implications on, on a cognitive performance in women is still at an early stage. So we did uh, give a cognitive task to our participants, to our young women, um, and we were looking at emotional memory and while we did not find any difference in their performance on the task, we did find that those that were on oral contraceptive had greater activation in brain regions that are involved in memory and emotion processing. Um, and that could mean several things. It could mean that perhaps they're more sensitive to emotional stimuli. It could mean that the brain is having to work harder and to process these stimuli. 
Um, so it, it could mean a lot of things, um, and we need to dig further to better understand what these differences mean. But these differences are there, nonetheless. Okay. So knowing what you know now, I mean, this is, I think this is huge. Where do we go from here? What's the, what are the next steps now that you know that you've had these findings, you've published this? What, what's your next step? Yeah, uh, great question. We're interested in examining other types of, uh, of memory now because this was just one aspect of memory. It was emotional memory. But we're interested in examining the impact of oral contraceptives on verbal memory, spatial memory, social memory, and so on. So um, we really want to try to see what the impact of this is on cognitive functioning and memory formation. We're also interested on the mood aspect of all this because many women report um, anecdotally that they suffer from depressive symptoms once they start taking the pill or that they experience mood changes. And given the findings that we have on emotion processing, we do think that perhaps there is something here linking to depression. And we would like to dig further so that we can then um, develop contraceptives and help towards the contribution of the development of contraceptives that are better suited for women, uh, for women health and, and mood of women, and maybe have less of these negative um, effects and, and side effects. Okay. Well, I'm going personally going to be following along. Uh, I want to know more about this. I hope you'll come back and join me when you learn more. Uh, but if people want to read this published study, where is it published? So it is published in the journal Hormones and Behavior. Um, we can access it uh, through my website, has the reference for it. So you can find the reference on my laboratory website. And if you want a full text, uh, feel free to email me and I'd be happy to send it along. Okay, we'll put all of that up on the video that goes out on social. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Candice. That's it for What She Said for this week. Be sure to follow me on What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify for extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.